Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. When the senses have... Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. I, of course, am the best-selling author of The Gorilla's Guide to the Balfang Radio NC Scout. And today I am joined by a very special guest, a man that I am very honored to share airtime with over on the Privy Council and somebody who I very highly value the opinion of in all things intelligence matters, as well as a broad number of other topics, because he's a very wise man and his opinions on the global picture of things that, that are going on in the world, I've always found to be very consistent and very prescient. But with that said, I am joined by my esteemed guest, retired CIA agent extraordinaire, Mr. Ron Muller. How are you doing, oh, sir? Boy. I'm doing great. Wow. I'm glad I wore tall boots today. I mean, my God, that's, that's one hell of an introduction. But I, I'm, I'm going to have to correct you on just a small point of order. Um, uh, I'm retired paramilitary operations officer from the agency. Uh, we recruit agents. Agents are the people that actually go out and do the, the crappy work of actually spying for us. Um, I know Hollywood likes to call all of us agents. It makes it sound cooler, I guess. I don't know, but small, it's just a small little correction there. See, I knew that. I knew that it was a technique. I wanted you oh, to talk about Oh, look at you, you. Mr. Oh, Mr. Elicitation 101. Oh, very <laughs> cool. I know wow. a little bit about a little bit. I know well, a little bit about a little, know a little bit. bit about I everything. That, I, I know that, that some people like to clam up. They don't really like to talk about them and get into specific detail and that was just one mm -hmm. little way of opening things oh, yeah. up and breaking the ice but you sir have had one hell of a career you you have you've worked with with some of the most incredible people that have been tasked with defending this nation abroad and you know as far as um knowledge that can be gleaned from that that can be passed on to uh the the broader community lessons learned you know this is really really incredible um mm. you know you know sharing a mountaintop with with a legendary billy wah you know as we were talking about <laughs> and, and you know, knowing knowing the jawbreaker team knowing uh you know the 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 team for, of of gary schroen that were first into afghanistan and uh Wow. Just, uh, oh man, it, it's such an honor to have you on. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, 
I, I didn't know. I mean, I, you know, I mean, everybody wanted to be part of Jawbreaker or the, the follow on teams, like the one that, you know, Mike Spann was on and, and, and other teams that uh, it was, uh, you know, but we, I think most of us realized it was, it wasn't going to be a short war. It was going to be a long war. So, you know, everybody waited their turn. So I think I was, I don't know, second or third, you know, wave of, of folks that came in type of thing. It was, uh, it was still pretty sketchy when I got there in uh, late January of uh, 02. Um, yeah. I mean, it was you know, like, don't walk there. There's still mines. Don't walk there. There's still mines. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Right before Anaconda and everything like that, it was, uh, it was, sporty times and, and driving through Kabul and, uh, you know, watching the, watching the people like, okay, let's see, which foreign occupation force is it this week type of thing? You know, I, I'm, I'm being sarcastic a little bit, but it was, you know, I mean, in those early days driving through Kabul, it reminded me of the old newsreel footage of, uh, like old world war two cities that had been bombed and, and suffered a lot of military action. So it was, pretty, pretty rough going. Um, of course, most of the buildings were Soviet style buildings, which made them doubly ugly. So, uh, that sort of thing. You know, Got a you know there's a few brutalist style. Yeah. Oh God. Just like, uh, you know, me, uh, Boris, me build building. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, and, and, uh, you know, going around and exploring Kabul and, uh, and, and playing tour guide for the the war tourists that showed up, the the assistant vice under deputy secretary of defense for I don't know, pick my nose, whatever types, you know, uh, you know the uh, the State Department people that showed up to you know like breathe the air and and you know kick the tires and that sort of thing. It was uh, so we took them around, you know, Kabul, you know, there's the presidential palace. I sort of felt like Chevy Chase in European vacation, you know, doing traffic circles, you know, driving around. Oh, kids, there's, there's Big Ben. Oh, kids, there's Big Ben. Um, you know, here's Chicken Street. Hey, let's get out and walk around a little bit. And, and a bunch of the little urchins would come up to you and you'd pick the, the, the biggest, baddest one and say, all right, you know, here's 20 bucks. You watch my vehicle. You fuck up, you're dead. I'm sorry. Can I say that word? You know. Of course. Okay. Well, well, I don't know. This is, I, this I don't is live and uncensored. I don't know if there's any like ear virgins out there. I don't want to insult anybody. I mean, you're going to have to forgive me, audience, because I I did go to public school, and I so I speak me too. you know that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So you know, and take them through Chicken Street and let them you know look at the carpets and buy carpets and. Yeah, and then take them here, take them there. You know, driving by the Iranian embassy and flipping the bird at them. That's you know fun stuff. Um, and there were some cool things in those early days too, is because it was it was really like Dodge City in a way. I mean, there were rules, but there weren't. Uh, you know, because everybody, everybody you know, like everybody's on their best behavior, and uh, so we're trying to do we're trying to do all the right things, and we're trying to do a lot of right things all at once, which. You know, as we all know, if you try to do everything, you're going to do nothing. And so it's sort of effed up. You know, the introduction of the of the ISAF, the NATO forces showed up and, and we're all kind of like looking around going, WTF, what the hell are these guys doing here? Who who invited them to the party? I, I didn't see them, you know, break a leg as, you know, and anything like that. Although, you know, it was international politics. Um, 
you know, being in, in Kabul station one day, you know, I was, I was the air op operations officer and suddenly the, uh, the chief of station, uh, grabs me and says, grab, grab, grab your long, grab your long gun. You're coming with me. And, uh, all right, where are we going? He says, don't ask questions. So we hop in, hop in the vehicle with the GRS guys, the, his, his PSD guys. And, and we, we go to the presidential palace and he says, you're going to meet the president and all his people because the president wants you to fly him here and fly him there. I'm going like, say what? So, and that was, that was interesting. So I got to meet Karzai and, you know, 10, okay. Got all my fingers still. I didn't lose a single one. And, um, and Karzai, this was the early days. So Karzai was still very uh, nice to America and Americans. Um, but God, the, the people around him, I was, it's like something right out of a, a bad uh, operetta of, you know, a bunch of uh, um, bootlickers and butt kissers and, and opportunists and things like that. And uh, so we, we get all that done. And then uh, the next day or so, I got the airplane laid on for him. It's a, it's a you know, mid-sized turboprop passenger plane that, according to the air tasking order, we it was a C-130, but it wasn't, wasn't even close to a C-130. But we had to we had to fool the air force because i didn't want to use the nato designation for the aircraft because then they'd know it's a secret um but anyways so we get there and and the the plane seats i don't know 60 people so cars i gets on board his his security people get on board a couple of them well a couple of the the agency people get on board and you know our security guys and then there must be like a hundred uh, Karzai strap hangers. Everybody wants to get on the plane with, I'm the most important person. The president needs me. And you're going like, yeah, okay. You're not getting on the plane. So finally had to have somebody from the president's party that was already on board, come out and say, you know, you can go, you can go. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. You can go. And like that way, the onus isn't on me or the other Americans. And it's, it's on that guy. So sucks to be him. So, but yeah, that was, that was interesting. And then we had to kind of wash the plane out afterwards because, uh, man, you people know how to pick up after yourselves. And what else? Sorry. You know, and that was, that no, was, it, it's a fact. Yeah, no, Seen it was that one firsthand. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as, as the air guy, Oh God. Oh my God. You know, like <laughs> we're, we're not going to use the French method of, 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 uh, of, of sanitation and bathing guys. We're going to use actual soap. Um, that would be cool. Um, and please keep your arms down at all times. Um, gosh, what else? Well, you know, and, and being the air guy, um, you know, not only did we, I was responsible for, for fixed wing transportation for the agency guys throughout the country and outside of the country to get to neighboring countries, but also the rotary wing. And of course we had the coolest, you know, helicopter in country. We had the MI-17 MTV, uh, and no, it's not music television. It's, cool. it's the Russian abbreviation for high altitude engines, which we, we bought through, I can't talk about it, but anyways, so, you know, we took the clamshells off. So we were always cold and remember this is winter time. Um, so, and, uh, I remember the guys coming back from one mission. I'm, I'm on the, on the tarmac and cobble to, uh, at our ramp that we'd procured, uh, at the one end, uh, of the, uh, of the airfield of Kabul air, air airfield airport. Uh, and they had, uh, gone to a, a, 
support a team. They got in a firefight. They brought out the wounded. They took them up to Bagram to the uh, army hospital, argued with the U.S. Army surgeons and medics because, well, these are Afghans. Yeah, well, they're our allies. And if you don't help them, then, you know, you're going to have bigger problems. So anyways, and uh, we got there and uh, the uh, the crew chief comes out and he says, grab a couple cases of water, you know, the bottled water. And uh, we're, we got to go over to the helicopter. I'm like, well, okay. And we, and we, we have to wash all the blood off the floor of the, uh, of the helicopter. And so we're all under headlamps. You know, it's like, I don't know, two in the morning, something like that. And although it's sort of like that scene in, um, you know, we were soldiers where the, the medevac, got, you know, the helicopters come back and they're, they're rinsing out, you know. So first time I saw that, you know, talk about, I had a major flashback. It was very similar to that. Of course, it's with bottled water, these little freaking bottles of water. And you're like, it's like dribble, 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 dribble. I mean, I'm looking for buckets, you know, I need, or a hose, but it's, it's cobble in the early days before we had, you know, you know, toilets and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm fun times, you know, um, God. Um, oh, <laughs> Khalil Zad, the uh, the guy who, Mister, you know, the ambassador to Afghanistan and then later Iraq, and he he conned you know multiple administrations like I'm the guy that can help you solve Afghanistan, and uh, what a what a piece of shit. Um, so he get he gets off a, a State Department aircraft that flies in, and he's got his dip security guys that are like please let a sniper take him out. Please let a sniper take him. Cause the guys he's, he's, he's a handful and he's got this little um, guy. I always called him beaker. Like the guy from the Muppets little beaker, you know, um, guy. and he comes up to me and says, the, the, the ambassador, uh, the ambassador needs, needs to use the restroom. You know, can you please direct, direct us to the nearest restroom? I'm looking around. I mean, here's cobble. It's, you know, it's right after Anaconda and, and it's, there's nothing. I mean, the, the, the terminal buildings, you know, way down, you know, the other end of the, of the, uh, of the ramps. And uh, I mean, behind me are, you know, is the Soviet aircraft graveyard of, you know, just, you know, carcasses of old Soviet aircraft, you know, you know, do you want a TU-95 bomber? Do you want a, an IL-28 Beagle? I mean, whatever you want. I mean, an IL-18 Coot. Yeah, no, there were no TU-95s, but you get the all brightly silver colored and, and metal scrap yarded to the nth degree. And, you know, and they're just piled and stacked everywhere because, you know, nobody's bothered to clean it up. And, and there's an earthen berm around where we're at, you know, for splinter protection, that sort of thing. And uh, I, I just look at this beaker dude and I says, well, the ambassador can pick any part of the berm he wants to pee. If he's got a poop, he's going to have to hold it. I mean, look, I don't even have a porta john out here, dude. And he just looked all offended, like, oh, my God. I says, well, welcome to Afghanistan. Welcome to the fifth century. And Khalil Azad was, oh, he was, oh, God. Yeah, he comes out and he's all harumph, harumph, harumph. And he says, you know, my 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 people, because he, he he's Afghan. And he belongs to this certain tribe of Pushtuns, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they would treat me better. I says, Ambassador, everybody that comes here to my airport, to my ramp, gets treated exactly the same. You know, I'm I'm sorry, you know, but that's the way it is. And the DS guys are just behind them. Just, they're just rolling. 
And the senior DS guy who I saw a couple later times in, in DC and elsewhere, he, uh, he said, here, dude, and he gives me a, a DS polo shirt. So if I ever needed to pretend I'm a dip security guy, I got a big state <laughs> department dip security badge and, you know, like, Ooh, look at this. I got, I got a, I got a state department pasty on my left titty. Um, so, oh cool. man. But you know, it, it's just little things like that that stick out to you. I mean, it's it's oh it's yeah, tragedy yeah. and comedy and and just you know, kind of rolling your eyes, going you know, like oh my god, no wonder war is such an important endeavor because you know the truth of man comes out like um, so uh, you know well, and uh, so go ahead. Yeah, we 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 have this bias in America that we think that you know everything is. I blame it on tv i attribute it to to way too much exposure to the entertainment industry it's like every crime is solved in 60 minutes you know and they it's put them in prison all in and out it's actually 43 without commercials yeah oh yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> everything you know the bad guys always lose the end of the story and it, you know everything is neat and clean and perfect and prepackaged. and i mean you know that 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 story about the exchange of the ambassador is a perfect one. I you know I I had never heard that. I didn't know that our ambassador there was was actually Pashtun, uh, which is significant. Well, yeah, he's, but if he he was, I mean, he, he well, I don't think he was that, an ambassador then, but I think everybody called him yeah. that because he was President Bush's special representative for Afghanistan, and he was on the National Security Council, and, and he'd actually been around since since the Reagan years as a as a young diplomat you know and you know the soviets had invaded afghanistan so he was there to advise reagan on the best way to do that i mean this guy i literally called him a, a rug merchant or a grifter i mean he yeah oh my god yeah it was anyways yeah, yeah. so <laughs> you know and then it's, you know i mentioned common. i mentioned the war no. too oh it is it, it i mentioned the you know so here's the early days this is right after anaconda and and so many people forget this little episode. Um, so Anaconda is going on, or and it, it concludes. And in the meantime, the Indians and the Pakistanis are, you know, you know, doing their little playground, you know, like chest bumping and you know, calling each other names. Well, they're both nuclear powers, and so suddenly we all get, you know, hey, here's here's a bunch of iodine tablets in case you know the, you know, the pack start you know clicking off or the Indians start clicking off some nukes. And we're all like, say what? Say what, what, what? Nuclear war? And, um, you know, someone who was so, some, God, some very self-important uh, guy from Mac, or McNamara's um, Rumsfeld office shows up. And um, he's waiting on the tarmac for his, his ride to take him back up to Tashkent, uh, Uzbekistan. And he goes, young man, I'm looking at him like, dude, we're about the same age, but sure, you can call me young man, because that makes me feel good. Um, he says, Where, where's the enemy at? And I, I, I point towards Pakistan. I says, they're right over there in Pakistan, boss. They they all ran across the border, and the Pakis are shielding them. And he goes, what? No, that can't be true. I says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, that can't be true. That that's exactly where they went. I mean, oh yeah, everybody knew that. You know, oh that god. Was, I, mean, I, I mean, I was I was a senior in high school at the time. It's like, where do you think the Taliban all went? Now you're really making you me know? feel old, dude. Thanks. Well, that's it. That's no, it. I'm no. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> we're, we're we're out. We're out. I'm sorry. Hey, I can't talk know? to no youngins. 
No. Oh, I, come on. I, I mean, you know, so here's another here's another little war tidbit. So Anaconda's going on, you know, and and it, I have the. Are you there? All right. There you are. Sorry, we had a big gotcha. we're having a big ass rainstorm right now. So, you know, Starlink no, is sort fine. of tango it's uniform occasion. No, no, it's all good. Last last thing you said was uh the uh, little little war tidbit about Anaconda. And then You there? Okay. I think I got you back. Anything? Oh man. Gotcha. I'm gotcha, never gonna gotcha, talk gotcha. in this town again. No, it's all good. It's all good. I am no stranger to internet problems. Good lord. You there? You there, Ron? I've got you on my end. I can see you. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, well, then I'll continue if you got me at your end. Um, yeah, I've got you. So got uh, you. I had the audacity at, during uh, during Anaconda because the chief station had uh, kept me up there, up at Bagram in the in the Tenth Mountain Talk, because I actually understood all the uh, all the military dialects. You know, I speak Army, Marine, you know, Navy, soft, whatever. And um, so, anyways, so uh, I had the audacity to say, "Why are we always landing beneath?" below the enemy why don't we land on top of the enemy or above the enemy uh that that got me a lot of dirty looks so um but yeah it was um it was pretty tragic um so we uh we had to move a lot of uh a lot of the soft teams the interdiction teams that were along the rat lines going from anaconda area uh that led to pakistan you know and so, you know, we're moving U.S. off and, and you know, pick, pick, a, pick an ISAF country. Um, the funniest, most tragic one was the Danish SOF. Great guys. Nice guys. But Danish SOF works, uh, you know, they're, the, the mean altitude of Denmark is, what, 10 feet? And here they are at 8,000 plus feet. So, uh, yeah, we had to medevac them out and bring them back to Bagram so they wouldn't really all hypoxia on ourselves. So anyways, so they didn't, they didn't do any kind of like gas mask training. And of course I don't have you now, so I can't hear a thing that you're asking me. Ah, that's okay. Um, but are, are you there? Can I, I've got you coming in. Hold on. Let's see. Um,
All right, you back? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. I can see you too. Oh, sorry. Right. It was a it was a hellacious rainstorm just now. Living in the mountains, it's always weather is always uh, a factor. Yeah. So no, no. So you can so add, add you it up. The show. About... No, no. It's all good. It's all good. You were talking about uh, hypoxia in the Danish yeah. troops, and I, right. I was just interjecting. I was like, man, they didn't do any kind of like gas mask runs or. Um, well, no, I saw them. I saw them. They 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 ran around Bagram all the time. I mean, they they ran the circumference of what they could run because it was still uh, uh, undeveloped. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of mines still out and about in the uh, in the non hard hardball areas. So, but they ran all the time. But it doesn't make any difference. So, you know, you kind of like almost double your altitude and. Uh, you know, sort of hard to do just, you know, taking the MI-17 elevator. And then I, I remember um, had an Air Force uh, one-star uh, AFSOC guy come up to me. I always called him the hairdo because, and he's in he's in uh, the Anaconda book, and um, I can't remember his name, and it's not important. Um, but he came up to me one day and started to chew my ass out that how dare I, uh, I take uh, missions away from, uh, you know, T.F. Brown and uh and and generic army aviation and uh i just looked at him and says not my problem you know i mean they asked for our help and my guidance from the chief was to support the military to support the the operation so you got a problem you know i'll give you the number it's 1-800 don't give a shit in Kabul and uh type thing oh he got mad and i'm like you know like dude i don't work for you and you know, because you know, so so the soft there's a lot of the soft guys because the talk was really weirdly physically structured. It was bizarre. Uh, I've never seen a talk like that, or or never had before. Any and uh, so anyway, so uh, you know, the soft guys are just literally like around the corner, you know, a different tabletop, and they're just shaking their heads, going. You know, dude, we, we go to them. We want a mission. We want a mission to, you know, fly the guys, you know, a team to here. We got to fill out a request and we got to do, you know, this and we got to wait, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Well, that's not time responsive. I mean, you come up to me and say, hey, you know, you guys, we come up to you and say, hey, we need to fly here. And I say, well, hold on. Let me go get my, you know, my pilot in charge because he's the final determiner because it's he's the one whose ass is on the line in the aircraft. Um, hey, can we do this? And he'll, you know, he'll do the quick, you know, windage and elevation thing. And and he's an old, you know, you know, task force 160 guy with, you know, like, you know, I stopped counting hours after 10,000 type of thing. So um, he says, yeah, we can do that. And I'll tell the guys, all right, be it be at the ramp at you know X Y Z time and tonight, and they're just kind of like, what? Says, well, you guys said you wanted to go right away, so I'm I got to wait for nightfall, so you know, and they're and they're happy, and we were able to do you know at least two of those missions a night sometimes, depending on the distance, you know, and the amount of gear we had to transport. Sometimes we would, you know, like take the take the guys and then come back and get a lot more of their support gear you know the extra rations and water and and th and, and in your world more combo gear because you know reconnaissance is only as good as the combo they have so how many batteries to... you've got how many batteries <laughs> exactly you've got? Yeah. Oh, dude God, humping batteries. those 5590s 
I know all stop, about it. So for the stop. listeners out there, yeah, I know because it's painful memories for everybody. You know, everybody that's done it, they know. But but for everybody that doesn't know what a fifty five ninety is, it's basically <laughs> um, take a brick and put it in a bag. That's a fifty five ninety on your back. Okay, so then then and and that that one fifty five ninety will last you one combo window. So if you have five days, you have ten combo windows. That's how many bricks you're carrying. On top of your water, on top of you know your mountain of cliff bars that you're carrying with you in your Slim Jims, because <laughs> some of us can't stand to eat MREs anymore at that point. We're just like, no, um, yeah, you're just gonna eat cliff bars and, and Slim Jims and drink water, you know. But anyway, it's yeah, reminiscing about about rough times that are that are oh, uh, God, so much yeah. so rewarding. So character building. It does. It builds uh, a lot of character and, and, and a lot of VA claims. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. I mean the only part I had to I only had to lift them, you know, as I was helping load or unload the helicopter. So it's like, damn, these things suck. Oh wait, you guys are light infantry, so it's okay. <laughs> no worries. So yeah. Like, but, yeah, you're you're carrying them to us and we're carrying them up onto that ridge line up there. Like Oh yeah! Oh no! Yeah, no. and you have to do it via tactical movement. You just can't go, you know, straight up. So it takes yeah, twice it's, as long, it's a at good least. Time. Yeah. You know, it, and that's what I was talking about. Uh, training with gas masks is that was how we got in preparation for that. Because when uh, I was at CAF, and you know, it's it's about four thousand feet and some change there. Right, and. Um, you know, we, but where we were going up on the border and, you know, going up into the Argandab and, and, uh, uh, Marijuana, where you're, you're really going up in, into a significant amount of elevation there and terrain right. changes from, uh, Kandahar proper. And, um, you know, we were running with gas masks on and rucking with gas masks for that oxygen deprivation and it paid off. Um, it definitely paid off. Because yeah. you're, you're able to move that much better when, you know, you're talking about getting, you know, 7,000, 7,500 feet elevation and sometimes higher. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it definitely helps. Oh, it does. Well, I think in, in you know, to, in the Danish soft guys' defense, uh, they'd literally deployed like a, a week or so before. I mean, they they showed up and, you know, because every, everybody wanted – it was like Grenada all over again. Everybody wants to play. And, uh, you know, so everybody had to show up you know, type thing. So Yeah. Yeah, and, so, and, and yeah. when you don't have – yeah, when, when you don't have a spin-up time, it's just like, hey, you're going from – training at sea level and for, you know, maritime defense missions and anti-piracy and, you know, all the other things that the Danes are, are fairly adept at doing. And mm -hmm. now you're going to go be a part of mountain warfare. It's like, Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, was, you're, you're feeding them to the wolves at that point. You know, it's, yeah, ooh. it was, it was tough. Well, so I, I sort of told the story a little out of, out of, uh, out of chronological order. So, before Anaconda kicks off, the uh, the chief of station says, "Hey, uh, we're, we're you're coming up with me to Bagram, and uh, cool, you know, because Bagram, you know, had a had a little trailer PX, so I could get some, you know, t decade old Pringles and you know satisfy my my artificial potato, 
you know, fixation. Um, so he said, no, no, you're going to come up and listen to the briefing because you're going to have to interpret some of this mill, mill speak for me. So um, General Hagenbach was the CG of 10th Mountain, and he was the commander for Anaconda. And um, and I love the 10th Mountain Division. Don't get me wrong. But, but Hagenbach was the wrong general at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I've said it before in other, other interviews and face to face and things like that. But anyways, so we get there and, and uh, we go into his, his big briefing room and, and the chief gets to sit at the head table with the, uh, the chief of staff and Hagenbach. And I think one other, one other guy was there too. And, and I'm sitting way back in the peanut gallery, you know, like, I don't care. And, you know, the chief says, I just get up there and just, you know, tell me what you think, you know, type of stuff. And um, so the briefing starts and God bless it. It's PowerPoint. I mean, here we are in the middle of nowhere and we still have F and PowerPoint. God bless PowerPoint. Of course, it was just black and white. So it was okay. I know I hate PowerPoint, but the first slide comes up. It's decision brief, exercise anaconda. And I just, my, my, my butt, I, I, I was a springboard ranger, man. I jumped up. I says, what the fuck? This ain't an exercise. This is an operation. Where the fuck do you guys think we are? NTC? And, and Hagenbach looked, <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 Well, you know, and Hagenbach turned around like I was, you know, I had spoken heresy in church and the chief of staff just glared daggers at me and, and the chief of station turns around and he goes, Ron, inside voice. Sorry, chief. And I sat back down and, and everybody that's sitting around me sort of like moves a chair away from me type of thing because they don't want to get caught, caught in the blast radius. But <laughs> I mean, but but what I'm trying to communicate here, you know, the, you know, Ron, you know, Ron showed up what an ass he is, but is what, you know, how unreal they were taking this whole thing. Because it's just a bunch of goat herders, you know. They don't know jack shit, you know. You know, you know the op for NTC is so much tougher. I'm going, you know, and I'm telling some of the people from 10th Mountain Division, like, you guys realize these are the same people that just came out of a multi-decade-long war, you know, first against one another, then against the Soviets, then back to one another, and they're just kind of looking at me. I says, you know, these guys may, but they know this stuff. And, you know, I mean, they, you know, come on, like read your history, you know, just, just a little bit. And, um, so uh, yeah, that, that went over like yeah. a fart in church. And, uh, so, oh. uh, you know, a couple other anaconda stories that are important again for the, just the way we like, Oh shit, we're in a war. They shoot back. <clears throat> so we had the, the, the army brought Apache helicopters, because we're going to definitely destroy the uh, the Soviet tank brigade there that's stationed in, in the Operation Anaconda AO, a.k.a. the Fulda Gap. I'm joking, but <clears throat> kind of the wrong, a good aircraft, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> <clears throat> whatever. Yeah. Um, but we had, no, we had no tube artillery and we had no mortars, except for the, uh, the Navy SEAL contingent brought in two uh, 120 millimeter mortars that they got in a lot of trouble for, but Hey, at least they have some organic fire support. And, um, I mean, the army was told by, um, whoever the, 
the oh I can't even remember his name the idiot that was in com command of Central Command back then. Uh, you know, you guys won't have Franks. Any, any, Franks, thank yeah. You guys Franks, don't need any yeah. tube artillery. Yeah, Franks. Um, so, um, so I'm out on the tarmac talking to my crew, and you know we're we're doing a little you know preventive maintenance stuff on the on the helo and things like that. And um, here comes this one Apache comes wobbling in. And, you know, literally the ruptured duck kind of flight of helicopter. And it lands on the old uh, pierced steel planking uh, ramp that the Soviets left for us that had a lot of shell holes in it. And, you know, pure, you know a, lot of, a lot of those mushrooms, you know, of, of pierced steel planking. You know, very interesting. Um, and I go over and talk to him. And there's a, in the front position is, a, I don't know, some first lieutenant that had his little, you know, remember the old, uh, dolls that you could stick in your car windows. He had a Heathcliff doll stuck in the yeah. side of his window. And I go, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. You're, you're a mature aviator. I I'm, I'm tracking. And, um, and the, <laughs> and the, and the, and the backseater was some grizzled old CW four. And, uh, he was like, Oh my God. And I go, man, you know, it looks like you guys took some battle damage. I'm so I'm kind of doing a little quick air crew debrief here. Cause I want to know what the threat is to my guys. He says, so we're, you know, flying around, you know, providing, you know, on-call, you know, gun support or rockets, whatever we had, you know, until we went Winchester, you know, out of ammo. We, we, we had nothing but good looks anymore to scare the enemy with. Um, and we're, we're engaging this one cave entrance. And he says, it was the weirdest thing. This guy steps out of the cave with an RPG on his shoulder. He's lining up to take the shot. And you know, we stitch him with, with the chain gun from crotch to, to head. I mean, we're literally doing the, the, the split apart, you know, he's going to, and, but the guy just stands there and absorbs the punishment. Doesn't, doesn't flinch, doesn't move. And, and that's why my tail rotors all effed up. And because, you know, they kind of, but pivoted at the last minute, just in time. Otherwise it would have been smack a doodle all over the mountainside. But he says, man, these, these guys are serious. I go, you think? I mean yeah. the whole, the whole thing, and you know, I mean, we we you know, we had the 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 whole thing with the uh, you know the, the the seals and the and the Air Force PJ and combat controllers, and you know, crashing up up on the mountainside, and yeah, it just it it just became very unreal, and and the uh, <clears throat> and the big army was, I I think very unable to very quickly react to contact in this case because they were fighting a determined enemy. They thought it was going to be a cakewalk. I mean, there's a lot of other issues too. I mean, we could, we could spend a college semester talking about Anaconda and, and dissecting it moment by moment, but it, it was, um, it was an eye opening experience for, I think a lot of people that suddenly realized that they had a very determined enemy that was willing to, stand and fight when cornered and um and was going to be uh intractable in the long run so yeah and that was the first yeah. of 12 deployments to afghanistan lucky me so 12 man i did one i yeah. did one rookie <laughs> said, i'm good i'm good to go Ooh, 11 more goodness well, gracious <clears throat> yeah it was it was a you know, as as somebody once said, one politician once said, it was the good war. I mean, I actually, 
in the you know the early the first few deployments i believed it was the right thing to do the the right place to be you know fighting the people that had reached out and attacked us because on 911 <clears throat> i was i was a member of the uh combined agency no i don't know what we call it, incident response team i guess for lack of a better unclassified term it was uh there's a few agency guys, a couple FBI guys. And when I say guys, I'm I'm not being sexist people. There were, I think they were women. I'm not no, I'm kidding. They they were there were ladies on on the teams too. Um State Department actually led the team, and then we had a heavy contingent of uh, of JSOC uh, shooters and planners and that sort of thing. Um and, and we were we were actually in Budapest, Hungary, getting ready to do a, a counter-terrorist exercise with the uh, Hungarian um their version of the tier one guys and, and the Hungarian service intelligence service. Um, so the morning of nine 11, we went and did an early lunch, late breakfast, take your pick. And uh, we came back and the, and the embassy was surrounded by Hungarian combat equipped troops. I mean, all in their combat regalia with their, their helmets and their AKs or AKMs or whatever they were that week. And BRDMs. I'm going like, wow, a real BRDM touchy feely. Ooh, cool. Um, just like the DIA fact book. And uh, so, uh, and so we get in there and, and we're just, in, and we get in just in time to watch the second plane hit the, the, the second tower. And, uh, and it's, it's mayhem. It's the ambassador uh, wasn't on the ground yet. She had just gotten confirmed by the Senate. So the charge was there. The chief of station was a blithering idiot. Um, uh, the shard, you know, everybody was just falling apart. And so we, you know, we sort of had to do the, uh, keep it together. And, uh, the, uh, so Scotty Miller, who uh, retired as a four-star general, uh, he was a Lieutenant Colonel then and, uh, kind of running, running the, the senior mil- military guy. He goes, and he says, Ron, congratulations. You've, you've got, you've got that melodic tone of voice. You're, you're going to get to do the, the sit, the sit temporary for the sit brief on what what's happening, what's been going on today to not just us. Cause we all want to know, obviously, as well as to the embassy staff. I'm like say what worst, hardest, ugliest brief I've ever given in my life. Um, Cause you know, there was so much misreporting, you know, innuendo. I mean, because the FBI is on the phone to their headquarters, you know, we're on the phone to our headquarters, State Department guys are, you know, everyone's, and everyone's reporting stuff. And, you know, there's explosions here, there's mass panic in the streets, you know, and, and so, but you're trying to keep it as, as professional and as, you know, you know, type thing. And of course, you know, everybody knew it was the, was Al Qaeda. I mean, there was, you know, there's nobody else. I mean, after, you know, what happened to the USS Cole and, and the embassies in, in, in uh, Kenya and, and uh, Mozambique or Tanzania, excuse me. Uh, I mean, so yeah, everybody knew, I mean, we didn't, we didn't need to have, you know, a, a one year investigation to figure it out. We, we knew. And um, so of course we're all, we're all out there deployed. And of course we always bring our real world stuff with us just in case never ever think it's going to happen just makes you know that much more fun to always unload or load the aircraft whenever we go out for these these exercises so we're so i give the brief it's an ugly brief terrible brief and uh not a lot of questions 
And of course, everybody's glued to the to the TVs from then on till whenever they stop 24/7 coverage. Um, we finally we're, we're not sure what we're doing because our airplane's not waiting for us at Budapest Airfield. It's I don't know. It's an Air Force airplane. Who knows where it is? Um, after a week of spending a, a wonderful week's vacation in Budapest, which actually is a very beautiful city, and the Hungarians were very awesome hosts, and uh, we got a lot of free beer and a lot of discounted meals, um, so uh, yeah, it was kind of a cross benefit. Even the gypsies didn't pickpocket us as much, so that was kind of cool. Um, but we got to fly back, so we we flew back on a yeah um, the following week. And um, if you've ever flown transcontinental or trans over the over the Atlantic, you know there's different air routes, like you know super highways, and you know some go east to west, some go west to east. Well, there's one that flies literally right along the uh, the coastline, coming you know from Nova Scotia on down Maine and blah 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 down. And we were flying towards Andrews, so we got permission to fly that closest one because it that had been closed off because of you know the cessation of, of air traffic over the U.S. And um, so as we're getting close and within visual range of Manhattan, um, we're, uh, we're all called up to the cockpit because there's no windows in the fuselage of the aircraft. And we all get to spend like 30 seconds gazing out, looking at the big effing smoking crater that's still just I mean, it's like watching Mount Etna, you know, erupt. It's just Man. a lot of smoke. And F-16s yeah. and 15s and, you know, um, just buzzing around. And, of course, we had all the permissions and everything like that. But still, it's a little like, you know, please, I'm, I'm squawking the right IFF code. Please don't shoot me down. Um, but it, it was um, so, you know, and I, I, that sticks with me to this day. And uh, so I, I get real, I get cranky when I hear conspiracy theorists and I know a lot of conspiracies are true, blah, blah, blah. But like, Oh, this was a controlled explosion. You know, the CIA, you know, the trilateral commission, you know, the Illuminati, you know, the, you know, pick, pick your villain of the day. And, um, no, I'm sorry. It, it, you know, that, you know, first, you know, anyways, but it just pisses me off because all those Americans, perished and, and died and, and things like that. You know, we even had people like that in the agency. Um, so um, during really? my second tour there, yeah, during, oh yeah. Oh, God. So second tour, you know, is, is um, that fall in 2002, uh, fall into winter. Um, and uh, so as we all know, we had the CIA had uh, <clears throat> euphemistically called detention facilities for for bad people before we shipped them off to a all expense paid tropical vacation. Um, well, you know, it gets cold in Kabul. You know, you're a mile high and it's winter time, and you know, well, it became started turning winter time. I mean, and uh, so we had a, a very young, uh, brand new to the agency uh, analyst come out. To help with the interrogations of these uh, of these bad people, and she comes back one day, and and we're all sitting in literally it's a, a large open area, sort of like a, an old fashioned newsroom. You know, everybody can you know is in a big room. There's no little cubicles or anything like that. Um, it was more we were more worried about getting the job done than than having privacy and this and that. And uh, she comes back and she just exclaims to the to the room at large, those poor people, they're so cold. We need to, 
We need to do more to help them. Now, every day or every other day, the, the doctor, not a PA, but a doctor, our, our doctor would go there and do a med check on all these people because last thing you want to do is have somebody, you know, it, it's a bad look in front of Congress and, and on the front page of a paper. So, it, you know, yeah, they were uncomfortable. Yeah, they were cold. They had a blanket. They had a honey bucket. And if you don't know what a honey bucket is, chat or podcast people's um, <laughs> th- think yep. about where you where you dump your prison wallet out at. So mm-hmm. I'll let you guys figure that one out. And she, oh my God, she, <laughs> and she just wanted to cry. Pot. Yeah, the chamber pot. There you go. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so, and we all just looked at her like, are you, are you effing nuts? So somebody overnight produced a little book, a little three ring binder, you know, why we are here. And it was basically why we are here, open it up. And there's a bunch of pictures in those little document protector sleeves of the falling man, the towers, you know, the people walking through the streets of New York city, you know, looking, you know, like zombies with their ash, everything ashen covered and, and, you know, um, you know, in the Pentagon and, and Pennsylvania crash sites as well. So, you know, it's like, Hey, this is why we're here. You know, I mean, those people, I, I'm glad they're uncomfortable because there's like over 3000 people that are dead. And I mean, and as we know now that, you know, the cancer from, from, you know, the, the recovery and, and, uh, you know, the excavation yeah. of the site and everything is just, you know, that that's a continuing thing. So she, uh, I think people, she was, I think people were worried for her safety because, you know, like, gee, this is a nice pillow. It'd be a shame if somebody laid it on top of you while you were sleeping. I'm sorry, but people were pissed. I mean, that was, just, <laughs> and uh, so she, she I know that her. feeling though. Yeah. I know that feeling. You're just like, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but if it did, I wouldn't be that yeah. upset. So. Well, yeah. yeah and just, it was just remarkable. You know, so I, I just found that just a, um, it was just annoying, you know, and it, it, it annoyed me. So anyways, please ask the question. I'm, I've been hogging the airways here. No, no, it, it's, it, this is just such a, I'm so fascinated with, with that whole era. And it, there's so many stories from the invasion of Afghanistan that haven't been told, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that really, really, it, I think that, that, you know, with, with, with a lot of the GWAT vets, the, the Afghanistan vets, you know, myself, uh, you know, Clay Martin, we've, I've, I've had him on and, and we've talked about this, um, you know, and, and now yourself added to that, of course, Braxton McCoy, when I was on with him, we were talking about Iraq, but, right. um, you know, the, the, um, we, we're kind of stuck in the end. You know, it, it's it's not how you come into the room; it's how you exit. That's how everybody remembers <laughs> right. it. Right. And and Afghanistan, you know, the exit was obviously um, um, atrocious, as you know, we've had internal conversations about. And I think that it, that everyone, everyone that that's an uh, Afghan vet is, is just has been beside themselves mm-hmm. um, because of that, as a result of that. But the the invasion of Afghanistan was was absolutely brilliant and that was one of the most difficult countries if not the most difficult i think in the world 
because we we literally had challenges from all sides just getting in there. Um, Tell me about it. Iran was 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 out of the picture. You know that that was obviously a no go. Uh, Right. Pakistan presents all sorts of challenges on a routine basis. Nothing Uh, that a few billion dollars won't solve. For now. You know, <laughs> until they well, get until they get another regime change. I mean, yeah. uh, when when they had uh, uh, the the general that was in charge in the early two well, thousands, yeah, Musharraf. Um, yeah. You know, and and then of course Benzinier Bhutto after that, who was assassinated, uh, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of saw that coming because that's seems to be the way that a lot of Pakistani leaders go out. And of course, you know, we're left with Imran Khan now who uh you know and and that's that see and and that's that would be a great topic for a whole other show it's just talk just digesting that because i don't think anybody in in the media alternative media mainstream media uh war on the rocks uh the drive any of the any of the the uh, military outlets either has really sat down and digested and broke down the situation with Imran Khan and just how dangerous and precarious oh, yeah. that one is. Um, that Pretty that one so. is, it, and and the Taliban, the Taliban meanwhile are exploiting that in full. Uh, oh yeah, and and this this is an extremely dangerous situation. But but <laughs> talking about Afghanistan, re- revisiting that, um, <laughs> you know the the. Just just prior to the invasion of Afghanistan, just prior to uh, 9-11, in fact, Ahmad Shah Massoud was assassinated. And he right, was two days before him. That, uh, yep. He he was extremely well regarded all over Afghanistan, not not just mm-hmm. in northern Afghanistan, uh, but he was he was well he's a he was a rarity because he was well respected among Pashtuns as well as Tajiks. Um mm-hmm. All of them that I encountered of, of both ethnicities and, and uh, of, of all the tribes that, that uh, I interacted with, they all had an immense amount of respect for him. Um, even the Taliban, even the Taliban, even though they, they were on opposite ends of the, the Afghan civil war, uh, they, they certainly had respect for him as an adversary and, and an adept military commander for his service against the Russians. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he was tragically assassinated, and and history is is what it is. I think that he would have he would have come out to be a much better leader in the end, and much more beneficial for American goals, uh, long term and, and long term stability of the region. But now we have his son, and his son in the past couple of years has really stepped up uh, with the National Resistance Front, and even though at this point things are not so good uh, mm-hmm. for the National Resistance Front, the NRF, and and uh, and the whole movement against the Taliban. Talk to us a little bit about their pathway to success. What it would require. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, um, in a I better know, world. That's a deep question. Yeah. No, it. it uh, I mean, so. You know, to answer the question, we actually we have to go back to 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 dad's time, to dad Masood's time. So, you know, the agency had um, uh, people that would go in in there occasionally to liaise with Masood, you know, to s- support the resistance against the Taliban in the 
and the nascent Al Qaeda folks and that sort of thing. And they were they would launch out of uh, Tajikistan, uh, which at that time was, I hate to use the word friendly, but it was um, amenable. Um, and of course, after 9-11, we, we were able to broker some, some deals with Uzbekistan to use them as a staging ground for uh, both us and the U.S. military. I mean, Karshi Khanabad K-2 uh, was the military launching site for a lot of U.S. military intervention, as well as, you know, Al- Team Alpha, you know, the Mike Spann's team that went in to uh, work with, um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, shoot. The uh, the wannabe Russian general guy. Anyways, um, sorry, I'm doing a brainer. Yeah, uh, but so we, you know, there was an there was a um, a conduit of of, of uh, an ability to support uh, Masood the Elder via that way, and and then the uh, the territory between the border of Tajikistan and then the the Panjshir Valley was. Um, contentious i guess is plus i mean if you've ever flown over that in the daytime i mean it's some hellacious terrain i mean you're at the tail end of the hindu kush so um whatever your imagination conjures up times it by 10 because it's it's that incredibly it's incredibly beautiful and incredibly dangerous and and difficult to traverse um so we we um masood the elder had that you know, had that lifeline, if you will. And plus, as you point out, he's, he was a, he was already a charismatic figure. His, his son um, doesn't have the, uh, or hasn't had the time to establish that sort of uh, basis of uh, charisma uh, of international support of like, there's a freedom fighter for you type of thing. Uh, so it, I, I think it's really difficult. And I think the Taliban learned an important lesson because as Kabul was falling and, uh, and various Afghan um, folks that couldn't, wouldn't, didn't want to be evacuated. Um, they, they were hightailing it back up to the Panjshir. That's the traditional Afghan retreat route uh, where you redoubt where you can go. And uh, they, uh, the Taliban cut off a lot of that, you know, from what I've been able to ascertain. So it, the national resistance front is, not not your daddy's resistance front. Hello. Man. I swear those NSA guys keep cutting us off. All right. Lost me again for just a second. That was uh, yeah, that, that was right. Starlink butting in and, and so rudely interrupting. Anyhow, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the benefits Nuts. of living semi off grid. Oh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But, but talking talking about the Panjshir Valley and and the stunning beauty of mm-hmm. northern Afghanistan and just the but it is a absolutely uh, hellacious terrain to have to fight in. Um, oh, it is. And and so, but anyhow. Yeah. I mean, there's an old legend of the of the Panjshir Valley that, um, and I went up there one time in the in the early days, um, for reasons, and uh, and the 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 host that met us there, um, the Afghan, he 
at the bay, at the beginning of the valley, and as we're trans, you know, into the heart of the valley, he says, and this is where the first Soviet offensive ended, and you can tell by the wrecked Soviet, you know, BMPs and and tank hulks, and then oh, here's where the second, and it's like they could literally like the line of advance and retreat of the Soviets, you know, by the the wreckage. <laughs> it was like, well, that's one way to, you know, it's it's like a different version of range stakes, I guess, you know, it's it's kind of cool, but um, yeah, so it, it's. It's a beautiful area. Those people are really, uh, you know, good to go. And I mean, and then there's also the Hazars as well in, up there in uh, in Bamian province where the Buddhas were, the three Buddhas. And uh, yeah, we, we flew in there to uh, try to recruit the, uh, the head Hazari dude to, uh, you know, join our uh, nascent Afghan National Army counterterrorism pursuit force, whatever we were doing. And uh Got to see the uh, the wrecks of the Buddha, and that was uh, wow. That was a, a a tragedy. I mean, I'm glad I saw it, but it, like you you can only imagine. So that so it was uh, got some nice photos, but that's about it. So yeah, but talking about him, uh, I must <laughs> stumbling over our words here. A modernist too. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's widely been said with the, the punditry and, you know, myself included in that, that they're facing a severe, if if not impossible battle. But simultaneously, we see that the Taliban has got a pretty serious challenge coming from uh, ISIS, or at least the, mm-hmm. the Al-Khorasan variant of ISIS. Um, they have challenges internally as well. I think that that uh, the Taliban is going to be faced with a, a very severe internal power struggle uh, shortly. And, and that's really a result of what I've seen interviews with with Afghans, particularly from the northern uh, regions of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Panjshir included in that, where they're talking about the Taliban abuses and saying that they're, they're worse than the Russians in that they're not paying for the things that they just usurp from the populace. You know, and you and I both know that, that when it comes to unconventional warfare, um, it's really a waiting game of waiting for the dam to break. Mm-hmm. Because at, at what point do people finally say enough of, the, it, it, enough of this is enough? That's how the Taliban came to be. And I know you know the story. Right. Oops. Did you zap out on me again? Troops who were, um, they, they had raped the young girl and uh, at, at a uh, military checkpoint and Mullah Omar went and made it right uh, by hanging those guys from the burned up hull of a tank they were using as their checkpoint. So uh, it, it's that, and that's how the Taliban came to be. And um, the, the Afghans, one thing to their credit is, is that they don't take things laying down, uh, you know, for, for the lack of education, the lack of sophistication, modern technology and what have you uh, as a culture, they, they don't take things laying down. Uh, just as your example, your, your reflection on the Apache pilot and the gunner saying, you know, hey, it, that guy did not back down. Um, 
even when we stitched him up, he knew he was going to die. Uh, and, and so with that said, I think that, that there is, there is a chance for Ahmad Masood to move forward. Uh, what say you on that? Well, the thing he doesn't have is, is, is an international base of support. I mean, he certainly doesn't have the ISI unless the ISI is going to play its, its little gamesmanship again to, uh, you know, support all 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 ends in Afghanistan against one another to keep it uh, unstable because an unstable Afghanistan is good for Pakistan and uh, so I, you know I don't know I mean you know the Taliban always had their their support their financial support coming out of the Gulf and you know they had sanctuary in Pakistan and Iran so <laughs> I, I I don't know I mean I I, I just think there's um He'll be fighting on a on a real shoestring for uh, quite a while, and um, you know, it'll it'll be it'll be difficult. You know, the other thing, of course, to remember is that the reason the Taliban are probably treating the people up in northern Afghanistan uh, poorly is, uh, well, they're not like us. They're they're Tajiks. They're Uzbeks. They're they're not Pushtuns right. like us. So, I mean, there's I mean, right. wow. I mean, talk about racial discrimination. It's uh, it's impressive or tribal discrimination. It's impressive. Yeah. It, oh man. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's a whole other world. And and that's something that, <laughs> that I had a, a difficult time with, you know, coming back to the U S and hearing, uh, you know, as went on in my academic career and uh, was hearing, hearing a lot of these people that have never stepped foot outside of the Western world. You know, and, and if they have, it's been very controlled. It's been narrated. It's been guided. They've, but they haven't seen the, the real, the real world. And, oh, yeah. um, but they, they want to lecture us on, you know, how ethnicities need to be, you know, how, how everything is systematically unfair in the United States and so on and so forth. <laughs> you just realize they, they're just grifters. They're just grifters. Yeah. They, they, you know, that's that's what that's what they are. Um, you know, when when you see real, real ethnic division and real ethnic hatred, um, you know, oh, you, yeah. you realize in the United States, this, this stuff is is nothing. Yeah, this is this is rookie stuff here. I mean, I, you know, I think my first introduction to to what we're talking ethnic hatred is. Um, going to going to the Balkans uh, to Sarajevo and oh, I mean man. Yeah. the visit the oh yeah. my god the uh, and seeing all the Sarajevo roses and and um, what the Sarajevo roses it's it's um, rose colored concrete in the shape of a of a rose flower petal whatever and uh, they're scattered throughout sidewalks city parks on the streets themselves it, it there's no real pattern to it. And so we're, I'm enjoying an, uh, a tasty adult beverage, a uh, nice beer with my team out there in Sarajevo. And uh, I asked the waitress, you know, Altman, uh, I guess she was in like her fifties. Um, so what, what are these, you know, rose colored things here everywhere? She says, Oh, those are Sarajevo roses. I go, okay. Says, well, that's to mark the place where the citizens of Sarajevo were killed by Serb snipers during, you know, the 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 conflict. And uh, if, if people will remember, you know, 
Bosnians were darting from cellar to building and having to cross dangerous open ground just to get water or food uh, and yeah. bring it back to wherever their hidey hole was uh, with their families. And a lot of times they would get offed by snipers. They would get shot and killed. Um, and there's, there's television video of it and it's really gross and nasty. Um, I go, wow. Okay. What's well, that's, that's, that's poignant. And then she gets this far away look in her eye and she goes, we will never forget. And I go, okay. And we will never forgive. I'm like, Oh shit. Great. My yeah. grandkids are going to have to come back here. Fuck. You know, it's like, you know, can I just nuke this place and be done with it? You know? But so anyway, <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it's then we'll draw that ire. Yeah. Then, what, but, but it's like, I, I get it. I mean, I understand the, the never forgive or, or, you know, part. Okay. You're going to hold a grudge. Okay. That's fine. I mean, if you go to Korea, South Korea, you'll see, you'll see um, war memorials or monuments towards the brutal Japanese occupation of, of Korea. And, you know, there's, there's a, still a lot of like unpleasant feelings between those two countries because the Japanese haven't really apologized and blah, 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 whatever. You know, but so I, I get that, but it's like, you know, this is a real, this is real throughout the world. There's, I mean, you know, it's literally like, um, how did I, how did I tell this one young officer one time? I says, you know, you, you've read Gulliver's Travels, right? Yeah, kind of, maybe I think, I don't know. It says, well, you remember the story about, you know, the people who, who open their, their hard boiled or soft boiled egg, you know, the, the small side or the big side, you know, and, and this is the total. You know, and this is the cause for, you know, the, the never ending war between those two entities in, in Gulliver's world. Yeah, it's just, after all, it's just like silly. Uh, you know, like, come on, people, really? But whatever. Yeah. So. Well, it, and that is, unfortunately, that's the reality of, of life outside of the United States. And, you know, oh, it's coming here too. World. I mean, oh, we is. look at our yeah. we look at our friend in South Africa. Who, you know, every day, you know, he's he's reporting about copper wire theft. You know, farm attacks. I mean, you know, roadblocks and and uh, you know, um, criminal toll booths. I guess is the polite way to put it. Yeah, it's just like, I, I mean, you know, and uh, just it's it's going to be bad. I mean, because because. City cultures in America or in the Western world, I guess I'll say, but in, in America, you know, and it, then it, then it's regionalized, you know, East coast cities are different than Southern cities and so on and so forth. But um, city folk act a whole lot different than rural folk and us folks that live as far away from people as we can. Um, so, you know, it, and it's going to be, I mean, once the city folk turn on one another and then whoever comes out of that, you know, alpha male contest um they're going to go out into the rural world and they're going to find a whole different kettle of fish and i don't think those city folks are going to be yep. prepared for that um yeah it's 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 you know the, the veneer of civilization is very very thin and uh it, it doesn't take a lot to break break that it's very brittle so i agree a hundred percent brother well ron I want to have you back on in probably week if you're up to it, because I really want to dive into Imran Khan 
and breaking down Pakistan because this, you know, the world is so focused on Russia and Prigozhin and, you know, Wagner Group <laughs> and Putin and, uh, you know, the, the Gerasimov and, and the whole fallout from that, which, you know, we, we've discussed that. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm not saying that it's not important. It's critically important. But I think that, that the developments in Pakistan, which are really going unnoticed for the mm-hmm. most part and, and ignored. And it's because in, in America, we don't we don't understand Pakistan. Um, and and it, it's we didn't know we, we certainly didn't understand Afghanistan uh, and, and still don't and, and can't. I, I don't think that we can understand Afghanistan. Uh, right. But Pakistan being nuclear armed is um, th- this is one that I think is of utmost importance and even more so now. Uh, but brother, yeah. thank you so much for being on for for taking an hour of your time to be on with Radio Mantra audience. And uh, thank you. Very welcome. All right. Well, folks, an awesome interview. Had a couple of technical challenges in there, but, uh, you know, a little little tech end here and there. But we are good to go now. Of course, we press on through it. With that said, folks, brushbeater.store. Got a heck of a lot of products and more things that are going to be added uh, very soon. All of your communications needs are over there and um, got a heck of a lot more products I'm really excited about come out very near future so definitely check that out of course course enrollments are open over there as well but they are filling up fast I think I have two slots left in the July RTO course series is coming up just in one month from now Uh, so if you want to get in on that Last call on that, and it's going to be a huge class. That's a huge class. It's it's going to be something like twenty five or thirty in there. So that's going to be big, even by my standards. But just a couple of slots left, and I'm looking forward to training with all of you out there. Anyway, with that said, God bless, and I will talk to you again very very soon. Sensi Scout out.